Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be going over the Thunder Bulls game. Just a little preview of that one. And then the draft pick pandemonium that ensued on Thursday. So heading into the game tonight, we got the Thunder coming in at 5-6 versus the Chicago Bulls, who are 4-7. Tip-off yet again, it's at 7 p.m. Guys can catch it on Fox Sports Oklahoma. Both of these teams are entering this game on respectively their low points in the year. For the Thunder, their biggest losing streak has been three games, and it was after they defeated the Charlotte Hornets. So they started the year 1-0, end up falling three games consecutively to 1-3. Kind of cut that drought off, went on our New Year's hot streak, and now we've kind of sunken back down into this hole. We lost by 10 to the Spurs, and then we lost by 29 points to the Lakers on Wednesday. So we kind of need to get ourselves back together, and this is a crucial game for us. So we need to get back out of that two-game losing streak. And then for the Bulls, they are in the exact same boat as the Thunder right now. They are on a three-game losing streak. They were 4-4 four and four and end up losing three in a row to tank down to 13th in the Eastern Conference. And these aren't games like the Thunders where... You know, fourth quarter, you're throwing out your bench lineup and just testing things out. That's not the case. The Bulls lost these three games by a deficit of four points. The biggest loss they had in these past three was four. And they're playing against teams like the Sacramento Kings. They're playing against teams like the Los Angeles Lakers. The Los Angeles Clippers. That's the kind of upper echelon teams we're talking about. I think you can probably rule the Kings out, but... Facing two LA teams and only losing by two points to the Lakers and three points by the Clippers? That's really good. And that really tells you how big of a jump they have made from last season. Even though the standings currently do not really project that right now. This is going to be Donovan and Mochik's first regular season return to the peak. They played us in the preseason. We had a two-game set. Back last month, Bulls ended up killing us. I think one of the games they only won by two, but the other one they blew it wide open, won by maybe even 20 points. So they're going to be going from the Windy City to get this, the Big Friendly. I did not even know that this was a nickname for Oklahoma City. Like I was searching up. I didn't want to go with like the classics ones. Like you got, you got OKC, you got Bricktown, whatever you want to call it. Apparently, Big Friendly is a nickname for Oklahoma City, so you can take that one home. I didn't know that, but they're going to be heading down here yet again, and they're going to be trying to snap their losing streak of their own. Just going into the injuries in this game, the Thunder have one player listed as out, and it's Ty Jerome. Ty Jerome is still dealing with this left ankle sprain. Over a month into this, There really has not been a ton of clarification from head coach Mark Dagnalt or anyone surrounding the team. You would have to imagine that there would be some sort of report servicing by now. I mean, this dude must have sprained his left ankle really, really bad to be out this far. But it's cool. The recovery process 
is necessary and we are whenever we're in the state that we are in as a team where we want people to develop forcing someone into action early is is a big issue so we don't want to do that so heal up tydrome we're still waiting for you we have one other person though who is listed as questionable for this game as in thursday's injury report darius baisley was marked up for having a sprained ankle because he did sprain his ankle against the lakers on wednesday so bit of a question mark there with baisley and if he will be playing for us and for the bulls they have a lot of people out for this one they have five guys right off the rip that are not going to be suiting up thomas sataransky ryan archidiacono those are two guards that they're going to not have then you got small forward chandler hutchinson for them he he was a decent piece off the bench thus far with them and he actually did play very, very solid in the preseason whenever he was matched up against OKC. Then we got Devon Dotson. That's another shooting guard. And Luke Cornett. So we got four, or I guess you could say three guards, one forward and Chandler Hutchinson, and a big in Luke Cornett. However, outside of those five guys, there's still more people that are on the injury list right now. And... It starts with Lori Markinen, and he is likely for this one. He has missed the last seven games due to COVID-19 protocols. So he's been itching to come back. He's only played in four regular season games thus far. This should be the return for him. I believe that his quarantine or restrictions are finally off, so he should be good to go. However, there is no 100% you know, without a doubt, yes or no answer on marketing. Personally, I'm going to assume that he will be playing in this one, but you never know. That's why it's marked up as likely. And then you got Otto Porter Jr. He is probable for this game. And then you got Garrett Temple, who is questionable. So those are three more pieces. I'd say two big ones on Porter Jr. marketing that are potentially playing. And then you got a guy off the bench, Solid role player and veteran guy and Garrett Temple, they could be out. If you combine all those people together, let's just say hypothetically all eight are not going to be playing. The Bulls are going to be trying to dig deep to get this game started. I do think Markin will be playing, so you know I don't want to just go and outright say this game could potentially be canceled. Sure, there's always that possibility, but I wouldn't be listening to this thinking that you know, there's a high probability of that happening because I just don't see that right now because most of the injuries are not COVID related. They are just due to other reasons. But heading into the key matchups in this game, you got to start with this. Darius Baisley versus Laurie Markkinen or the lack thereof. And what I'm saying in this is we still don't know the status of either of these guys. And is going to Markinen first. He has not had action for two weeks because he has been gone for those seven games. And he very well could miss his eighth game tonight if out of nowhere the Bulls medical staff or the league say you can't play in this one. I'm saying there's a 90% chance he plays in this game though. So truthfully, I think Markin will be here. If he's in this game though, I think a minute restriction 
could be in the realm of possibility. Being out for that long, it does kind of give you the questions of how he's going to fit back in with this team. He has done super well, though, in the first four games of the season. He was averaging near 18 points per game on 50% shooting. And the best part about it, he was shooting 48% from downtown in those four games. So he was very, very effective for Chicago. I think if he's good to go, um, since it's not an injury such as like, you know, a a wrist being jacked up or ankle, back, whatever you want to call it. I think he, I think he will not really have that big of a minute restriction, but it is something you should keep in the back of your head. Just don't expect him to be playing, you know, 35 plus like he sometimes has to when they got to dig super duper deep and they don't have that kind of depth. However, do you think Markkinen, if he's going to be playing, will be doing some damage? And that is because he's seven feet tall. He can go inside if he needs to. And from three, if you're leaving him open, he should be knocking it down. When he was used under Jim Boylan, he was so misused and mishandled. You wouldn't have even known how promising this guy was in the first year in the NBA. He looked like a budding star. I don't know the averages off the top of my head. But I'd like to say it was around the 15-point range he had in his rookie year. He was doing everything. I remember he was slashing the basket, posterizing people, hitting three balls. People genuinely believed he would be way, way better than John Collins. And the conversation there, I'm not really sure what it is at this point of time because Collins has a funky situation in Atlanta. Marketing, I don't think it's as, you know, weird as Collins is, but... We don't have the consistency factor with him yet. So we we're a little bit unsure of, you know, how Markkinen would develop. And once Boylan comes in, he isolated Markkinen to just a catch-and-shoot guy who really didn't have much activity outside of just popping a three when he's open. Billy Donovan is trying to open the game back up for Laurie and get him more inside looks as well as the three ball and putting him in situations such as high ball screens, put him as a pick-and-pop guy. So he's expanded Markkinen's game again. And whenever you're looking at people like Darius Baisley, per se, I think Baisley does have the athleticism, but he does lack some sort of height there. And Markkinen, I believe he can get down low on him. And if Baisley's trying to sag off, he will make you pay. And I think it extends far down the line of the power forwards we have on the team. I think just going into Baisley, however, with him also not having any clearance for the game, like, there's so much stuff that can be altered by him not being able to suit up. If he's not going to be playing for us, it's really going to be people like Roby and Poku, but I just want to say a little bit more on Baisley before I go into his potential backups. He has been struggling as of late. He has not been able to hit the 50% mark in his past couple games, and he just cooled off from his New Year's streak where he was posting up 19 and 11 in three games. Think if he's going up against a guy like Laurie Markkinen and he has his uh, ankle sprain all good to go, he could be able to try to take advantage there if Markkinen really is that, you know, out of it due to him not playing. 
think Baisley, I mean, he's been attacking the paint very, very strong, I'd say, the past week or two. We've seen so many different moves from him that I've never seen him do inside. I, I said in my last one, but you got Euro steps and hop steps. He's pulling out of his bag multiple times in games. I couldn't remember. I don't really remember that from his rookie year. You know, I remember him driving in and dunking, but having to do the extra two or three motions to get the buckets, I never saw him do that. He was just point A to point B. He's not that anymore. And if he's playing on a guy like Markkinen, who maybe might not be all there right now, could be a big game and, you know, the game that finally gets Baisley out of this funk. So if he plays, I think there's a, a real hope that he can get his act together. But it's more of a toss-up with Baisley because, you know, we never know what's going on with the, the ankle sprains here. We got Ty Jerome sitting out a month. I don't know if Baisley's going to be able to deal with it for just a day and then be able to bounce right back. But it's Darius Baisley. Dude's an Iron Man. He's played a ton. So yeah, I, I, can't, I can't draw any conclusions here. If Baisley's out, though, it's really going to have to be Isaiah Roby starting yet again. He started in our last one at center. And he produced well. He dropped 11 points. I don't have the rebound numbers on me. I believe it was 9, though. And he was just chipping in everything. On defense, he is a problem. If he's on a guy like Laurie Markkinen, I think Markkinen will be struggling. Because Roby, I don't think he's going to get bullied around by a dude like Markkinen. Yes, Markkinen does have that height advantage. But I'm not so sure that Markkinen is as overwhelmingly strong as some of the other people Roby has faced. Like, Roby is a surprisingly strong dude. I don't think a dude like Markkinen is going to be able to move him. You know what I mean? So, inside game, I think it would be shut down for the most part by Roby. Outside, it's more of like a dice roll. I'd still kind of put my bets into Roby, though. I think a roby marketing matchup would be very, very good for us in terms of the defensive end. Obviously, Baisley possesses more skills than Roby does on offense, so a little bit of a trade-off there. But yeah, I, I think Roby could be another dude trying to make an impact in this one. And then you got Alexei Pogachevsky. Just came off the best game of his career. I did a whole entire article on him. On my website, kylesingler4mvp.com. Gave you guys a breakdown of his performance on Wednesday, as well as what some of the players and even head coach Mark Dagonalt had to say about him. Very, very strong performance from him. 10 points, 4 rebounds, chipped in a couple assists, and then he had 3 blocks. So on both ends, he was solid. This is not a guy that you're going to be starting in the absence of Baisley. But if Baisley's gone... The minutes will obviously be jacked up for Poku. And he's always kind of that wild card. He has the games where you're thinking, how is he on the NBA floor? And then you have the games where everyone's kind of just starstruck because Poku is balling out and he's seven feet tall doing stuff that we haven't really seen seven-footers do for us in a while. If you want to consider Kevin Durant, um, sure. But yeah, he's just doing a lot of unique things for his size, so. That wild card, if he can get things going again after that really good, you know, performance he had on Wednesday, I think we should be in good shape. However, looking past those guys, those group of guys at the fours for both sides, I think we need to look at Lou Dort versus Zach Levine. 
And as previously mentioned, this is not the first time the Bulls and the Thunder have been put up against each other. In the two-game preseason series between the two, Levine unequivocally took the cake from Dort. He was putting up 22 points in just 27 minutes of play in those two. And he just carried that dominance he had in those two games to the regular season. Believe it or not, he is the fourth best scorer in the NBA right now. He's averaging 27.7 a night on very, very efficient shooting. And you kind of just expect Levine to be this penetration guy. That's what he was kind of viewed as in the beginning stages of his career when we're looking at like Minnesota. You're thinking dunk contest versus Aaron Gordon. Not much else beyond that. Maybe even when he gets to the Bulls, you're thinking of more penetration guy. He's expanded, you know, his range. And that's really what ended up killing Dort in those preseason games. But he is shooting right now 37% from downtown on near nine attempts per game. So you can't sag off on Levine because he's going to be able to knock down the three ball. And whenever you go up on him, He's too fast and too athletic, and you're going to pay because he's going to get to the line or get an easy bucket inside. And that kind of variety of of aspects from Levine is what killed Dort. Dort could not stop Levine for anything. Levine dropped 16 points in the first quarter in one of those preseason games, and he was just all over the place. You want to hit a pull-up midi? He's going to hit a pull-up midi. Want to shoot it from three? Levine's burying the three. If he wants to dunk on you, he'll dunk on you. He was controlling everything, and he was calling the shots in the preseason. And so far in the regular season, he has been calling the shots for the Bulls. And he's corralled them to very, very close games against top-tier competition. So Dort will need to be able to prevent Levine from really all aspects if we want a shot in this one. Because Levine is not this guy who is just jacking up shots all the time like an Andrew Wiggins who occasionally has those big 20 to 30 point outings that's not Zach Levine anymore Zach Levine has emerged as a star and he can carry teams at this point so this is their primary option without a doubt Dort will need to be able to put the clamps on him he just faced LeBron James and I think if you want to compare the two LeBron might just be a little bit better than Levine. So taking a bit of a step back, but you can't downplay Levine because if you do, he is going to be at his best. So clamp up on Levine is my key point with him. And then you got to give a nod to other pieces such as SGA versus Kobe White. And Kobe White is a dude who has gone a bit under the radar this season. He's entering his sophomore campaign. And he was kicking our you-know-what in the preseason. He dropped, let's say, 27 points in one of those. And just like Levine, he's been balling out in the regular season. He is actually the team's second leading scorer behind Levine right now. He's posting 17.3 a game, as well as 5.2 rebounds and 6.2 assists in near 35 minutes a game. So this is no average starter anymore. You need to be playing Kobe White seriously because he can shoot from anywhere 
and he can distribute from anywhere. White has a really promising career, and I just think right now he he just looks he looks very promising. He's one of the best players on the Bulls team, and if you do not exert the effort into defending Kobe White, he can be that dude who's dropping twenty to thirty points for the Bulls. His best game is not you know where he's only dropping twenty points. He can expand it very very further and he can stretch it out to the point where he is the team's best player bar none so clamping him up is big and then with SGA he has been in a slump I would say I mean he hasn't really been feeling it from downtown and he's been dropping he dropped 29 31 and then just kind of hit this plateau where all he's been able to do is get inside and try to make shots he hasn't been able to create from the mid-range or the three so I don't want to see him trying to penetrate this entire game because I don't think the results on paper the results look good but I think it ends up hurting the team when he does it every single time he needs to go back to shooting those three balls and try to stretch the defense out we all know that SGA is our best player at the moment so if he's able to kind of take that commanding lead yet again and run the show, run that helm, put up a good amount of points from everywhere, open up their the Bulls' defense, and find open shots for other players. It's going to be a good night for us, I believe. So just going into my predictions, I think that the Bulls probably will get this one just due to the fact that Zach Levine has been killing it. He has been one of the best scorers, and you're going to see that in tonight's ballgame. Dort will put up a good contest to him, but they have way more pieces than Levine. I think the pressure may be eased off a bit on him due to the amount of shot creators they have surrounding him. Maybe a bit too much. And then when you factor in Baisley potentially being gone, that's going to take a big chunk of our our playbook out of the out of the game. So I got the Bulls taking this one. Just due to that firepower, man. But heading into the next segment of the podcast, I want to talk about this draft pick pandemonium that went on on Thursday. And this is something that, you know, if you have not been scrolling up and down your Twitter feed or refreshing on your Instagram, you wouldn't have really seen this story. And this all relates back to this blockbuster James Harden deal that happened uh, just a few days back. But on Thursday morning, there was an article released by The Athletic that unveiled a tiny wrinkle in this James Harden move. And it actually, as the way it's stated, it just gave OKC free draft capital. They didn't have to get involved in anything. We just get two free draft pick swaps. And what the two swaps are, were the right to swap with the Brooklyn Nets in 2021 and 2025. So, as The Athletic stated, and I quote, the 2021 Brooklyn-Houston pick swap now becomes part of a larger, wilder pick scenario involving Miami and Oklahoma City, which gets the two best picks out of each of those four teams' first rounders. And Houston... As we all know, 
they have their pick protected one through four. So if it's one through four, you get them out. But the way that this, you know, this red, the Thunder were able to pick not just from Houston and Miami, but also the Brooklyn Nets. And the same thing translated in 2025. And this is also a quote from them. And I quote, similarly, in 2025, Houston's pick in top 10 protected range. If it's outside of the top 10, Oklahoma City will receive the best pick out of Houston, Brooklyn, and its own selection. Same exact premise here. We get the first shot out of those three picks, and then Houston gets the second best, and the Nets end up with the worst, right? So it seems simple there. However, it's just a little bit too good to be true. Like, Sam Presti, without a doubt, is the best GM in the NBA. And he has this kind of sorcerer moments all the time where he's able to maneuver deals seemingly out of nowhere. And this would have been one of those moves. Like, how would you be able to get those kind of picks for absolutely nothing? And... I, I wouldn't be able to tell you, to be completely honest with you, and no one really understood it because that just doesn't happen in the NBA. There's no freebies in the NBA. You know, you have to work for everything, and the same goes for GMs. You're not just going to have stuff spoon-fed to you, and this was a situation where it totally seemed like they were being spoon-fed because, as the Athletics said, that's really what it was. And I was going to make this entire segment about the value in the Brooklyn's Nets two picks that we received in 2021 and 2025, particularly the 2025 since it's so far down the line. But that just got completely thrown out the window because in a matter of hours, this kind of hope and excitement swirling around the Thunder community was just taken right back from us. And that is because one of the original authors and contributors of this athletic post on Thursday morning indicated that what he stated in his article was just untrue. So he shot down the the rhetoric that the Thunder owned those two Brooklyn Nets picks. He owned up to it on Twitter. It was Sam Vassini. And he said, quick note here on the draft pick swaps for OKC and Houston, now involving Brooklyn. This particularly affects the 2025 first-round pick swap. Per a source, OKC has to make their swap decision with Houston before Houston makes theirs with Brooklyn. OKC can never end up with a Brooklyn pick. So, kind of all makes sense now. If it actually stood that we got those two picks, um, I, I wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to comprehend it. To be quite honest with you, I'd be jumping for joy because there probably is going to be some real value in that Brooklyn Nets pick in 2025. But let me just kind of lay down the groundworks of how this deal would work. So the Thunder, as they get that first choice, they get a choice between OKC's and Houston's. Let's say they decide to take Houston's. Houston is left with OKC and Brooklyn. Let's say they take Brooklyn. Brooklyn ends up with OKC's. So Brooklyn, they can own our pick if it is the worst out of the three. However, we never are able to access the Brooklyn picks. We still have to stick to our 
Russell Westbrook agreement, which is we have the right to swap picks with Houston only. And they have protections on those swaps. So it does change things a little bit. Um, in terms of, you know, how I was thinking 48 hours ago, I mean, this meant nothing because we didn't even know that we had this stuff. This report comes out that we do have it, and we don't have it anymore. So, you know, all these hopes, they're gone. However, you kind of just got to go back to business here. Houston is going to have it pretty solid here, having the access to the Brooklyn Nets 2025 pick. Sucks that we were never, never able to get it. Uh, I believe the Rockets 2025 pick is top 10 protected. So if we're getting the Rockets pick, they're in the back end of the lottery at best. But there's still value there. So as a Thunder fan, I think we should keep our head up. And something that I probably will go into in the near future is just is just our veteran group of guys. And if we will be able to trade any of them kind of in this aftershock period of the James Harden deal because because there is some real value in some of the veterans that we currently have. So make sure to give me feedback on that one if you guys want me to talk about that or not. But with all that being said, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you guys next time. See ya.